report in. Red 10 standing by. Red 9 standing by. Red 3 standing by. Red 6 standing by. Red 9 standing by. You're listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast. Laugh it up, fuzzball. Your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. This is it. He laser clickers. Hey, welcome to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. I'm one of your hosts, Tom, and joining me today is William and also Sean from CNET. Thank you for having me, guys. Um, you're probably wondering why um, Stephen is not basically here today. Well, he had a previous engagement. Um, and I think before when I was not here, Tarkin got a hold of me. I think in this case, uh, let's just say somebody within the Mando show got a hold of him and um, he tried to sneak into a refinery and uh, he got yeah. caught. His so, his uh, yeah. yeah his DNA is in the uh, Imperial databanks. So yeah, so he's he's going to be joining us at some point with a review of um, you know today the Believer, which is Chapter 15 of the Mandalorian. But before we get into the review and our discussion, uh, we've got a bunch of news that was released this week. And I think, William, you want to take that? Yeah, so this is a huge, a huge week for Star Wars news. Um, and like, this is just, this is probably the biggest news dump we've had in ever, I think maybe. Forever. I mean, Sean, I, I, I know you were re- recovering it for CNET. I think you stayed up pretty late to cover it. What were, what were your like high level impressions of this gigantic, gigantic set of announcements coming out of Disney's investor day. I would say this is the most star Wars news we've ever gotten in one go. Uh, it was incredible. Uh, it was partially, I imagine a function of the fact that we had no conventions this year. So celebration was canceled. San Diego mm-hmm. comic-con was canceled. New York comic-con was canceled. So I would imagine they would have drip fed it it to also those so uh mm-hmm. and they turned this into a virtual comic-con of sorts think of yeah. how amazing celebration would have been if they'd done all these like in the room oh it could have been so cool well i also think wasn't there supposed to be a d23 this year as well because they do them like every odd year so i think they probably would have split some of it with that and then some of it with celebration although i would hope a lot of it would have come out with celebration mm-hmm. but yeah that was a big news dump there was just so much digest there was also this is not to get too businessy the fact that like so disney has lost a lot of money due to the parks being closed for so much of this year so they wanted to to build up maximum hype Mm -hmm. uh with that event um and it it definitely worked people were excited about the brand yeah even beyond star wars i think they showed a very impressive showing for just like disney plus subscribers in general that they've way exceeded expectations Mm mm-hmm um, they're launching tons and tons of new movies and and shows either direct to Disney Plus or or you know simultaneously with theatrical launches or or shortly after. But almost everything they talked about in a four and a half hour uh, event was streaming related, and it just really shows yeah. how committed Disney is to this. And, and as part of this, they really doubled down on on Star Wars. And this is something we weren't really like we knew Disney's Investor Day was coming up, but we might get some announcements. But it really wasn't clear if we'd be getting much until like the night before when reports started breaking, I think maybe the New York times, the first one to, to report this saying that uh, there was going to be you know, a death star sized dump of, uh, of announcements. And, you know, all of a sudden then Lucasfilm employees started like teasing it. And the next thing, you know, like yeah, maybe an hour and a half into the four hour 
uh, event, Kathleen Kennedy comes on stage and announces like I think ten massive Star Wars projects that are coming in the next couple of years. My mind was blown. I lost count. Yeah, so let's let's run through these. I'd love to get both of your your thoughts. There's just so much going on, and then of course afterward, um, since again Stephen is currently uh, in imperial custody once we get him out uh once we break him free uh mayfeld's gonna help um yeah then uh at that point he will be recording a uh, a holographic um uh call letting us know his thoughts on both these announcements and the episode itself so let's just dive into it the big one well uh, i guess in any other world, this would be a, a somewhat decent-sized announcement. But The Mandalorian Season 3 is coming uh, Christmas 2021, December 25th, 2021. Um, so we have good confirmation of that, which is exciting. The funny thing is, though, that announcement was actually buried um, uh, immediately after announcing two massive, massive series. The first one, the spinoff we've all been waiting for and hoping for and praying for, Ahsoka is getting her own live action series titled Star Wars Ahsoka starring Rosario Dawson and written by Dave Filoni, executive produced by Filoni and, and John Favreau. This is what we've been wanting. Sean, your, your thoughts on this, 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 this awesome announcement. Ahsoka's appearance in the Mandalorian felt a lot like a backdoor pilot. It, yep. So not wasn't, Hugely surprising to hear, but it was great to hear, uh, especially like that Dave Filoni will have such control over the narrative. Um, he'll do right by it. It's just mm-hmm. a matter of where in the timeline it takes place. Presumably it will it'll spin off with her mission to find Thrawn, maybe? I have to imagine it will, right? And Sabine as well, and Ezra. It's going to be interesting because you, you also have to look at it within the timeline how is all this going to start fitting with Mando, Ahsoka, and and the other thing, all the other stuff, where within the timeline? Because also, Filoni did state that when we saw Ahsoka in her episode, it kind of doesn't fit where we think it does, because he says that Star Wars is actually, um, you know, never told in a linear fashion. So that episode of hers actually took place before we thought it was in from Rebels. So... This is going to be fascinating how he's going to fit all this in. Yeah, it's it's I think this is going to be uh, it's it's a it's a limited series is how they're they're billing it. Um, so it, it it sounds like it'll be maybe a season, you know, um, don't really know exactly. They, they use two different um, two different terms here. They used limited series and then event series for one of the other ones. Uh, so I'm guessing an event series is probably very short versus a limited series, which may be like a season or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it sounds like it's not going to be a giant, giant Ahsoka show. Uh, that being said, um, I think it should be exactly what we've all been wanting for so long. And I, I do think we'll see, we'll see Ezra, we'll see Thrawn. Like they already teased Thrawn <clears throat> in the, in the episode. They already teased, um, they teased, uh, uh, Actually, no. They, I did say Lu- Lucasfilm didn't tease this, but there, there is a. Um, I don't actually remember his name. But there's an actor who's like been teasing that maybe he might play Thrawn. Um, it's just kind of a, a oh, interesting. Oh, it thing. was the voice actor. Um, no, 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 no. Oh, no this no, is no, a no, new. I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah, you're right. somebody different because it was somebody else who said 
that um, reports are coming out that uh, the gentleman who does the actual voice for Thrawn is up for the actual live action Thrawn. And I've totally spaced on his name. Mickelson. Uh, 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 yes. Mikkelsen? Yes. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Which totally makes sense. I mean, it's, it's one of those things to where I don't know who else could portray Thrawn the, the way that he does. But the thing that I found surprising is even though it was teased for Thrawn, didn't you guys also see that um, Timothy Zahn had absolutely no idea that um, Thrawn was even going to be used or his name was even going to be thrown out there? Ah. Yeah. That, I, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, yeah. Just given that they like to keep these things pretty close under wraps and they brought in Zahn for for rebels. Um, but they brought, probably brought him in once they already had a, a general plan and idea of what they wanted to do. Um, mm-hmm. but I'm, I think Ahsoka is going to be the thing we've all been, we've all been very excited for and waiting for, uh, yeah. all of this time. And the fact that it's being written by Dave Filoni and, and produced by both Dave Filoni and John Favreau, like the dream team right now. Um, it's, it sounds fantastic. And that's not the only project they're working on either. Yeah, there's too many to announce. Well, no, I mean, it, well, just, just just too many to follow. Sorry, even just Dave Filoni and John Favreau, though. So, in addition to the Mandalorian, which is getting season three, and they're also working on Ahsoka, they're also executive producing another series uh, called Rangers of the New Republic. And this, that, uh, and alongside Ahsoka, this is set in a. Uh, it was still set in the the Mandalorian timeline, which basically means it's a spinoff, right? And then this is going to be a new live action series. Uh, that will uh, intersect with future stories and culminate in a climactic story event. It sounds very MCU in many ways. Yeah. This is going to be interesting, how Star Wars is going to kind of meld in a little bit of the, the Marvel Universe, where you have all these characters split and then come into a climactic event. Mm-hmm. It's going to be fascinating to see how they pull all this off. I'm just happy that... All this stuff is being overseen by Favreau and Filoni because I right now have so much faith in the two of them. Oh, yeah. And then I have another film. I have another film coming up that I am more excited for <laughs> than the book series I'm reading right now. Well, well, William, I think you know which one that is. Yes, yes. But, you know, for, for real, touch, finishing up Rangers of the New Republic, though. So there's really no details aside from the fact that it's, you know, set around the time of the Mandalorian and will intersect with future stories. Um, but to me, when I hear Rangers of the New Republic, this sounds to me a lot like a Cara Dune series. You know, they've already mm-hmm. set up that um, uh, Captain Carson Teva is trying to recruit Cara Dune, uh, and she's a marshal right now. She's not a ranger. Um, but it's, it definitely sounds like a spinoff for Cara Dune. Not confirmed, but that's mm-hmm. my impression. Uh, your thoughts? Go ahead, Sean. You go first, because I have thoughts on this, but go ahead. Yeah, it sure does sound like the Cara Dune spinoff uh, we've all been kind of expecting because she's such a, a fan favorite character. Uh, it, yeah, it, it's such a vague notion. It, like it sounds almost like Rangers makes me think exploration and mm-hmm. kind of going to outer rim worlds, which like, most of Star Wars is set on the outer rim. Right. Uh, what it could be like bringing acting as your New Republic ambassadors in the outer rim. Mm-hmm. Well, how about this this theory that I just came up with? Rangers of the New Republic to me and the recruitment of Cara Dune to possibly like, you know, don't you have a feeling that since they know something's going on in the Outer Rim, don't you think it's the Rangers that are going to go out there and try and discover what's happening in the Outer Rim when it comes to the uh, old Empire? 
and they're the ones that are going to start seeing the threads starting to to form for the the first order. I think you're right. right. Yeah, because uh, uh, Carson Tiva certainly was suspicious about that. Yep. Uh, I think in in true Star Wars fashion, uh, everyone in authority will ignore their warnings and they'll yeah. all die. <laughs> exactly. And then, this, and then to me, this this kind of brings into you have Leia in. Um, in you know the the rise of Skywalker and all that, basically leading the new, you know, rebellion. Mm-hmm. And don't you think that it's basically the Rangers who are feeding her that information that is keeping it on the side that she's getting all that you know, all of it. So this I, this is cool where idea. I think this is going to fit in. Yeah, and yeah. this is a this is a full live action series. It's not a limited series or an event series. And so I would not be surprised if. Uh, you know, this this one goes for a while as well. And, and I can actually, it almost in some ways seems like the the flip side of The Mandalorian, right? Where The Mandalorian is more yep. about the underworld and the, 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 the kind of out on their own, kind of a criminal, uh, not necessarily a bad guy, but, you know, kind of in the gray area. And this is more like the Rangers. And I almost even wonder, like, will we see, since it says they'll intersect, will we see, um, you know, the Rangers going after The Mandalorian, uh, Dinjarin, or or, or 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 vice versa. Oh, that would be so cool if we if we saw like something in Mandalorian season three, and it, like it intersected, and we saw like another perspective on that. Yeah, or that's amazing. Yep, there's prospect. there's so much really amazing potential here. I'm I'm very excited. The one that I'm interested in is the Lando series. What what do you think about that one? Yeah, so Justin Simeon will be uh, uh, developing uh, the the I'm um, sorry, uh, yeah, the uh, uh, Lando Calrissian series, and this one is the one they're calling a brand new event series. So that tells me maybe just a couple episodes. Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and that's it. That's all we know. It's unclear if it's live action or animated or well, like. If Donald Glover will reprise the role, which we all want to see, I think. I would yeah, love I think, Donald Glover to come back. Some uh, some other things I've read on the net, it's like, is it Donald Glover and Billy D. Williams? Yeah. I mean, where is it like, huh. is it going to be a story to where they're going to tell it from two different perspectives of Lando to where one when he was younger and one where he was older? Or or like, is it a time thing within some kind of time frame of Lando Calrissian mm. and basically his underworld uh, ties? So this this opens up a whole possibility of what it's going to be. Yeah, and I wonder like, would is it is it possible we could see like Kira or even Maul? You know, depending on when this is set. If it's set That's like true. after Solo, you know, we could see uh, uh, Kira and Maul potentially in the more of the underworld uh, get involved. Or conversely, is it, is it more of the Lando's origin story, his his early days with you know, um, I don't know. There's just there's so many. So many fascinating options, and mm-hmm. then, or, or, or as you said, they could do you know post even Rise of Skywalker where yeah. Billy D Williams is off doing his thing. I'm excited again. No yeah. date for this, but it's it is in the works. Um, they also gave an update on the uh, the Cassian Andor series, which was previously untitled Cassian Andor. Uh, that was the that was kind of the working title, and now it's just known as Andor, um, and I this is probably one of the ones I'm most excited about too. Aside from like Ahsoka, um, is is just Andor because it's I love like spy spy shows and this is a spy thriller created by Tony Gilroy who I forgot worked on like the Bourne uh, movies, Born Identities. Yeah, yeah, and like 
so that that makes me even more excited and that's coming um officially in 2022 um you know, we knew most of the stuff already, uh, but production is already in progress, as was rumored. They're currently producing it in London, not too far from you, Sean. So hopefully you can get some uh, some good uh, tidbits go of what's some, going on. Yeah. Go get <laughs> some spy shots. Yeah, don't worry. I'll, on Monday, I'll wander out to the set. <laughs> <laughs> it's a spy thriller. So, you know, we you can you can have your own spy thriller about, about the spy thriller, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, and I could kind of use that as justification to, as why I'm there when they boot me off the set. We'll just call it Keen. <gasps> um, but uh, but yeah, it'll it'll uh, it'll include. Uh, I think all of these were previously confirmed. But Stellan Skarsgård, Adria Jonah, Fiona Shaw, Denise Go, uh, Kyle Solar, and Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma. Yes. So uh, and of course, um, you know, we'll have. Uh, uh, Diego Luna reprising his role as Cassian Endor and Alan Tudyk as K2SO. So that's going to be, that's going to be so cool. I'm very Should excited. About An interesting one that I'm looking forward to finding out more information about is the Acolyte. Cause we were trying to figure out what, um, uh, Leslie held Held who directed the Russian doll, what she was bringing to the star Wars universe. And now we've got at least a title, but, not much details about well, it. Well, more than we had. So it's called well, The true. Acolyte. And it's a mystery thriller, another thriller, uh, that will take audiences into a galaxy of shadowy secrets and emerging dark side powers in the final days of the High Republic. So two big things. One, this is a dark side-centric story. And two, it's set during the High Republic, which is a brand new era they're launching in just a couple of weeks, set uh, 200 years before the films. And a correction, I think last week I said... It was a couple thousand years. It's two hundred years. Um, so uh, apologies for that. But Sean, your thoughts on this this new series in a new era, focused on the dark side? Yeah, this is actually the one I'm most excited about. Uh, mm. I just like because it's 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 so different to the rest. Like I, I feel like the the Skywalker saga era is kind of done to death. We've like I love it, but we've seen an awful lot of it. And working within it always restricts the storytelling somewhat because it's like, mm. oh, it's Palpatine. Uh, you know, or Palpatine's going to strike any day now. So, like, all these characters are probably going to die or something like that. This, uh, just anything could happen. And I, the dark side element makes me think that it could be Sith people. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, which would be amazing to just get a sense of what was going on there with the Sith at that time. You would hope the possibility of seeing Darth Plagueis start his rise at this point to where we actually get some kind of backstory to Plagueis other than just have you heard about Plagueis the Wise and then Mm. now the um, Legends book of Darth Plagueis. So hopefully at this point we could see at least a directional toward that storyline. Because I don't think we know how old Plagueis was. It could be. I wonder if it's like Plagueis' early days or something. Yeah, he was really old. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but yet, yeah, like that that book took uh, the Plagueis novel took place over like a span of decades. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, oh. But I, I believe, like we knew that the Leslie Headland series was going to be right centric, so mm-hmm. it could be like a like a, a female Sith Lord in that line that we learn about. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. it's. I am uh, I'm, I'm excited for this one. I think it's the most unique and, and out there 
yeah. show they're working yeah. on. And it sounds very, very cool. Um, yeah. Switching gears a little bit. So uh, the other previously announced series uh, was uh, Kenobi, right? It was just operating under the tile Kenobi. And unlike Cassian Andor, which um, be- just became Andor, the Kenobi series is now officially named Obi-Wan Kenobi. And uh, they, it, they've confirmed that it will be set 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. And here's where things get interesting, because Darth Vader is confirmed to be in this series, played by none other than Hayden Christensen. Hayden Christensen returns and is reunited with Ewan McGregor for this series. What a surprising announcement. I, this, I did not see this one coming at all. I Hayden's, don't think Hayden's anybody return. saw this coming. Uh, it was also interesting that uh, Kathy Kennedy said Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader specifically. Yes. Like, mm. it implies that like he's not going to be showing up in flashbacks. I I think it, he's going to show up in visions that Obi Wan is kind of traumatized and maybe relives their their fatal battle on Mustafar. Yeah. yeah, that could open up possibilities. Not not to say that that whole lightsaber battle was great on Mustafar, but that could open up possibilities to where you don't know how many times they could have paused. And then let's say a psychological thing of Obi-Wan sitting there trying to get through to him saying, you know, Anakin, come on, this is not you. And then, then they get back to the battle, uh, lightsaber battle. So this does open possibilities. I yeah. find it fascinating. She said Darth Vader specifically, because we all remember Darth Vader at a certain point ended up in armor the whole time. So, right. Here's what I think. I've been thinking about as after this announcement. Why bring back Hayden Christensen just to wear a mask? He didn't play Darth Vader in Rogue One, right? right? So why pay for and make a big deal about Hayden Christensen coming back to never see his face? So I think we'll get a, a, a glimpse under the mask at the scarred Darth Vader, um, and maybe we get flashbacks as well. Um, but. I think that would be fascinating. The scar Darth Vader under the mask. I think we will see Hayden Christensen's face. As he's as he floats in the back to chew. Exactly. Well, here's the other possibility. Okay, I just thought of this. Here's the other possibility. We could get that, and you're and you're mentioning uh Sean the flashbacks in the back to tank. It could always be flashbacks from his point of view to he and Obi-Wan. That way he could be out of the armor. Yeah. 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 It's uh, there's a lot of potential here. Also, the fact that they're bringing in Darth Vader into the Kenobi series, and we no. previously assumed that, like, at least based on like the Kenobi novel, he was just gonna chill on Tatooine the whole time. If Vader's in the series, they have to meet, right? Well, but or also- or will we just see Vader like two like will we see these two main characters who never actually cross paths? Well, but but remember during the Clone Wars. Um- Anakin and Grievous were never supposed to meet during the animated series because their first meeting was on the bridge. Yes. In, in, in Sith. So they could always, if that's the reason for this show, it could be the exact same thing. And maybe they could always be in this, in yeah. the show, but never meet. Maybe. And maybe, or maybe they're communicating through the force or maybe, you know, a new hope but doesn't it, explicitly state that the last time they met was on Mustafar. And maybe they pull in Ahsoka and say, oh, no, you know, just like how we like, wait, Anakin had a Padawan? What? Um, maybe they say, no, um, they actually met after that somehow. Now, I don't know how they make that work. That would be 
crazy and but maybe they maybe they surprise us and and actually have Obi-Wan and Vader face off again. It's it's hard to imagine him getting back to Tatooine after that. Yeah. The only thing like how do they right. return to a status quo? Yeah. There's a there's a lot that have to answer. I don't know how they do it. But why include Vader otherwise? I don't know. Cause, yeah, because the other thing that they're going to have an issue with, if he ends up back on Tatooine, he's going to somehow find out about Owen Lars and Luke and all the other well, stuff. Well, maybe Vader doesn't go to Tatooine. Maybe Obi-Wan leaves Tatooine. That To, to protect Luke, yes. Yeah. I don't but know. Still. Lots of potential here. Uh, but it's, it's being helmed by Deborah Chow, and she did, you know, she directed... Um, some of our, our favorite episodes of The Mandalorian in season one. So I, it's it's in good hands. It is yep. in very good hands. Speaking of projects in good hands, like I said, there's just so much going on. Tom, I think this is your favorite. We're getting uh, our first absolutely. announcement of a new Star Wars movie. We knew they had movies planned for originally 2022, 2020. Four and 2026, but due to uh, this year, I think they all pushed them back to 2023, 2025, and 2027. Um, we didn't really know what they were. Um, you know, they didn't stuff. They had previous announcements. We we'll talk about that in a little bit, but they mm. hadn't really gone into details um, about you know the latest updates there, uh, especially since a lot of the film projects were kind of put on hold. But there is a new movie, Star Wars Rogue Squadron, directed yes. by Patty Jenkins. And arriving in theaters Christmas 2023. Yes. Tom? She had me when she said, my father flew phantoms. Done. <laughs> because, and, and no, I, 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 will, I, I will be honest. I'll be she, Done. Okay. Um, she grew up within... She, she, she saw fighter pilots. She knows the swagger. That is the one thing I have always kind of... A book series out there that I've complained about pilots that you're supposed to have some kind of sympathy for or kind of like, and they're supposed to be fighter pilots have no, sw- these fighter pilots have absolutely no swagger. Yes, they're broken, but there's nothing. She, I think she gets it. I'm looking so forward to this. I think this is going to be outstanding. I'd love to see her book, pull some of the stuff from the rogue squadron novels. We shall see. I have so much faith in this movie. I will be there probably first in line. I cannot wait for this movie. It's, I think this is in such good hands. It sounds amazing. The story will introduce a new generation of starfighter pilots as they earn their wings and risk their lives in a boundary-pushing high-speed thrill ride and move the saga into a future area of the galaxy, which sounds to me like maybe after the after um, the Rise of Skywalker. Sean, your, your thoughts on, on Rogue Squadron? Yeah, uh, I, I think it's going to be post-Rise of Skywalker 2. And... I, I really hope Dennis Lawson returns as Wedge in yes. a kind of mentor role. It just yeah. it seems like a no-brainer. You can't uh, have Rogue Squadron without Dennis Lawson, right? Yeah. Um, it. I would also love to see it, uh, Karen Horn from the Rogue Squadron novels. Oh, yes. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. Obviously, it'd be a slightly you know they'd be tweaking the generation from the the Legends thing because he'd be he he was he operated in the years previous in Legends, but whatever. I just want to see the guy, and it'll be amazing if he became a Jedi later. But that, that's getting a little ahead. But, but that that was the thing that always, and I always get back to this, that one, I think it was D23 whatever, where you had, um, the reason why the Walt Disney Company bought Star Wars was because of all these characters. Mm-hmm. 
And now you've got a perfect opportunity. Sure. You know, you, you just mentioned Cornhorn being part of Legends. I think Tycho, I can't pronounce his last name. But he right? was, thank you. So he was also part of Rogue Squadron. Yeah. So you can still take those characters and bring them forward because you're using something that's already there and tweak them. Right. But that, that, that's why you got the property. You have all this rich history. You can bring it forward. I think a lot of us are, are not going to be offended if these characters are brought forward and tweaked a bit. We got the characters back. Mm-hmm. And this is the perfect way to bring back, yes, Rogue Squadron uh, novels. And I would love to see Dennis Lawson come in and, and, and be Wedge. And then, again, tweak the other characters from the novels. Because uh, they can't bring back... Um, um, Oh God, he was blown up in the last episode. That was supposed to be his son, um, Grunberg. They can't bring his character back. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. This one, I, I think, is one of the a perfect film to go after because we know, like, people love Rogue Squadron. We've all, everyone loves Rogue Squadron. They love X Wings. We've always like the 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 Rogue Squadron books were just phenomenal. Um, the uh, you know, people like fighter pilot movies in general. Mm-hmm. It allows them to kind of target a new era of the galaxy, but still feel inherently Star Wars, you know? Um, they can be slightly new era, new characters, but still feel very Star Wars. And Rogue One was such a success that doing another fighter movie, a fighter pilot movie now, instead of more of like a Band of Brothers war ground on the ground type yep. of movie, is just like perfect. It, it really yeah. is. And I think this is this is smart. This is a really smart decision on their part. And I think Patty Jenkins is, is the perfect uh, director for the the project. So yeah, so looking forward to uh, this. Twenty twenty three, just just uh, three years off. Um, also, uh, they just gave a brief update uh, that the that you know kind of reconfirming that Taika Waititi is working on a uh, a brand new film. Um, he's currently uh, writing it right now, but no more details aside from that. Uh, and that's it on the the film front. Um, there, there were a couple other previously announced films that we don't really have any details on. Uh, we know Kevin Feig was writing a Star Wars movie uh, at one point. Uh, they announced that a year ago now, almost. Yeah, um, somewhere around there. Ryan Johnson was supposedly working on a trilogy of films, but that's kind of gone quiet. And uh, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss were supposed to be working on a, not a trilogy, but some number of films um, but they signed a Netflix deal, and so it sounds like that's pretty much off the table at this point. Uh, and I, I'm guessing that Ryan's trilogy is, may not be in the works anymore. All we know is that there are movies, as I said earlier, in 2023, 2025, and 2027. If 2023 is a Rogue Squadron, my guess is that Taika Waititi's film is going to be in 2025, because that's he's, he's mm-hmm. in the early stages of writing it. And then Kevin Feig's, if he still does a, a film, will be in 2027. That's my yeah. personal theory. But we'll see. I, I I really would like the Ryan Johnson trilogy to still happen. Um, yeah, me too. I would too. Um, there's just been no details. I think Benioff and Weiss is out for are out for sure, just given their yeah. Netflix deal. Uh, Ryan Johnson may or may not happen. Uh, they haven't really been talking about it, but that doesn't mean it's not in development. So right. Well, but I think see. as far I as mean, the three movies, I think those are. I'm guessing it's. Rogue Squadron, and then Taika Waititi's film, and then, if I had to guess, Kevin Feige is in, is in yeah. 27. Reasonable, yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, switching gears now to animation. Man, there's just so much. I know, there's um, so much. And we still have to get to uh, Mandalorian. I know, I know. So we got our first trailer for Star Wars 
The Bad Batch, a little sizzle reel, and it feels just like The Clone Wars. I am so excited. I'm excited, but I want to know where it fits, because even in the sizzle reel, you kind of get, you you, you kind of see the formation of the Galactic Republic. I mean, the, the Galactic Empire, because you see that. But where where are they going to fit within this whole this whole storyline. That's what I want to see. Well, I, right. I, I can see them not going with along with order 66. Uh-huh. Too smoothly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cause there, there's a lot, there's a lot of clips of them either. No, I'll say it on. There's a lot of clips of them fighting the other clones. Now, one of them looks like it could have been a, cause they're in a training room, but yeah, that's what I find fascinating. Yeah. And I, then you see the one you see, um, um, the hunter, basically on the on the speeder almost like he's on the run because he's not in armor but we have no idea what's going on yeah so i suspect this will be um i mean they, they've confirmed it'll be uh in the clone wars era uh, sorry post clone wars era just after order 66 and we'll focus on them uh taking on daring mission mercenary missions as they struggle to stay afloat and find a new purpose so i think this is really cool like what happens to a clone after the war what do yep. they do? And this is some clones who are more independent enough where they're not just like decommissioned, but they're like resisting in some ways. Yeah. Sounds very cool. And I just love that they're continuing the art style of the Clone Wars. It looks slightly different. Um, but, you know, I think we've all talked about in the past how amazing the Clone Wars art style was. And mm-hmm. it was very expensive at the time. Uh, but I don't know if like bringing back Clone Wars for season seven helped them create a bunch of assets in the pipeline already and simplified things or what. But, I'm just so glad I love that Clone Wars art style. And we're basically getting a sequel to the Clone Wars with the Bad Batch, mm-hmm. but it's more focused on a, us, one group of characters. And we get, you know, fan favorite Echo in there as well. We got to see him and his new armor and stuff. So very and we, excited about that. We also got to see somebody else who did a brief appearance, and that was Tarkin. Yes, yes. Who I would not be surprised if he also showed up in, um, in Andor as oh, yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the last two things we'll do is real quick. Uh, Star Wars Visions is a 10 episode um, uh, anime uh, series of like animated animated short films celebrating anime Uh, different anime uh, Star Wars from different anime creators. Um, Sounds sounds interesting. Uh, Personally, anime is not my personal art favorite uh, art style, Um, but it'll be cool to see what they what they do. Is it they're different short films? I don't know what they'll be focusing on, um, but sounds Sounds interesting. Uh, and then a, a droid story, which will be a partnership between Luxum Animation and ILM, as they, uh, as R- featuring R2-D2 and C-3PO uh, guiding a new hero in some way. Who knows? Uh, I assume 3PO will be played by Anthony Daniels. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, I, I would, I'd be surprised if it wasn't. Yeah, and we, we had the opportunity uh, to, um, as part of the, the, the press junket for um, the start holiday special, you know, we had an opportunity to sit down with Anthony Daniels, and he hinted that there may be some new, um, you know, that he would be returning in some way, uh, and couldn't give any details at the time, and I'm, I'm sure this is the exact project he was alluding to. Something, this is a complete tangent. So I interviewed uh, Anthony Daniels at his house uh, back in March, and he wow. did something. So he hinted at something, uh, which I believe was the uh, the VR game. Uh, ah, yes. Ah. 
Yeah, because he's in that too. Uh, yeah, so I think he likes doing that. I was like, oh, I'm doing a thing. Yes. <laughs> he loves to give li- drop little hints and, uh, and you know, make everyone guess and wonder what he'll he'll be up to. So, woo, that is, that's the set of announcements. Uh, yeah. Only took us half an hour to get through, uh, but that's just how much, br- like, how much news they dropped in a single, like, uh, 20 minute period like it was yeah. the most jam-packed 20 minutes for star wars fans and com- came completely out of you know left field i think um yeah. you know, I, I, I will just say thank god we just focus on the star wars part of it because the other stuff that was announced we'd probably be here for three hours discussing everything else from the yes. other parts of the company because they did a massive dump and oh, this yeah. was just part of it yeah yeah oh i think we're getting a a, a, a message steven what are your thoughts on all these fantastic Star Wars announcements coming out of the Disney Investor Day? Okay. William, thanks for patching me in. I, sorry, everyone. I, w- I wish I could have been there for the full recording, but, well, Empire's on my back, and so I had to get a little creative this week. But let's see. Where should I start? Obviously, the, the big announcements that I know William, Sean, and Tom just finished talking about. Wow. I don't even know where to begin, honestly. I Obviously, we expected to hear some Star Wars news out of the Disney Investor Day. Uh, I was not expecting the multitude of announcements that we got. Uh, I know everyone just, they just covered all of them in detail, I'm sure. So I'll just kind of highlight the big ones for me. Uh, first, Ahsoka show. I mean, I don't know what there is to say other than that. It's super exciting to see. As I, If you listen to our previous episode, I was a big fan of Rosario Dawson. And obviously, Dave Filoni's done a fantastic job. So I look forward to seeing them continue that story as kind of a sequel to Rebels. Maybe not. I, I mean, I guess maybe because Ahsoka, the scene at the end of Rebels may have been before or after. I don't know. We're going to need a flowchart. But it's I think it's a super interesting concept, and I'm really excited to see where it goes. I'm also really curious to see what some of these other shows, like Rangers of the New Republic, end up turning up like. Um, I think one of the f- best parts of The Mandalorian has really been a uh, real peek into what the galaxy is looking like, how it's operating. Um, it's something that I think the sequel trilogy didn't necessarily do quite as well as I would have liked. So it'll be really cool to see how they build out that story, this kind of uh, adventure, I expect, between the New Republic trying to bring order to the galaxy um, and kind of restore things after the Empire, the Imperial Remnant, the First Order. I, just, I think there's a lot of good meat there that I'm really excited for. And as far as the rest, I mean, I I could go through every single one. I think the thing I'm most excited for, honestly, is that Disney is demonstrating what they can do uh, with the Disney Plus platform. This is something I think Netflix has figured out really well, which is not every show needs to be mass market appeal. Uh, You could have a show like, I don't know, Lando, which I expect will be more carefree, more fun, uh, versus something like Andor, which is going to be much more of a spy thriller. And having those be able to target those audiences uh, more specifically, I think is really a good thing. So yeah, I'm really excited to see all those uh, come to fruition. Now, those of you who know me, uh, ships have always been my thing. My favorite series of Star Wars and Legends, or in New Canon, honestly, is the Rogue Squadron series by Michael Stackpole and Aaron Alston. Uh, So the announcement of Rogue Squadron as the next Star Wars film has me beyond excited. Uh, It is, I hope everything that I will ever want in a Star Wars movie. Uh, and I mean that quite literally. Like uh, the shots, like one of my favorite things to do is go to like watch Return of the Jedi, but just watch the cut of the space battle. Same thing for Rogue One. And I'm hoping that Rogue Squadron really builds off of the stuff we've seen there. Like they've shown they know how to film fantastic fighter action sequences. And I can't wait to see more of that. Um, 
Also, give me Wedge Antilles or give me death. Uh, I don't know if he's going to play a role, obviously, but it's Rogue Squadron. He has to be there. Uh, and so I'm very, very excited about that. But that's uh, kind of my brief thoughts. I know we've got a lot that will be covered for this episode. So, William, I'm going to turn it back to you. Uh, I need to get to my next uh, location so the Empire can't track my transmission. Thanks, Stephen. Couldn't agree more. It's just so, so exciting. So much um, to look forward to. So yeah, lots, lots of good stuff. But we have to talk about The Mandalorian today. Um, before I begin, I, I want to make one other call. I realized going back through the episode, um, we were talking about some of the Arbesh translations in, 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 on the computer screens, and we completely forgot to mention uh, and, and thank our, our our good friends over at Fanta Tracks for doing those translations. Yes. They are do amazing work, and I just love how they go through and translate all the computer screens. So, um, if you're curious, go head over to Fanta Tracks, and they they have some fantastic translations for every episode. Uh, they have a little mm-hmm. guide for every episode of The Mandalorian. It's also uh, a good so, website and a Twitter account, so why yeah. don't you go over there and follow them as well? Mark yeah. Mark Newbold and, and team are just such fantastic yep. fantastic people. So, um, with that. Tom, what will we be reviewing today? Wow, after all this, we have to start talking about (laughs) The Mandalorian Chapter 15, The Believer. This was directed by, and please, please, I think I'm going to butcher his last name, but it's Rick Fumiyawa, and it was written also by Rick Fumiyawa. And in this episode, to move against the Empire, The Mandalorian needs help from an old enemy. Yeah, so this is the... The penultimate episode of season two. We are just uh, after this. We just one episode left. Next week is the season finale. Um, and it's hard to believe it's already there. Unlike season one, this was um, it was less. Uh, it, it was not like it's not a two parter like like season one had for their their final two that those final two episodes. This was in some ways more of a your typical Mandalorian episode. Um, you know, kind of they have a they have a mission kind of that's progressing the overall plot. They go in and do it, and then they move on. Um, but there was a lot of character development for uh for both the Mandalorian and Migs Mayfeld, uh, mm-hmm. with Bill Burr returning to uh, as the as the sharpshooter. You know, there's just so much character development for Din Djarin. We find out just how much the child means to him, and really the lengths he's willing to go. Uh, to save Grogu, right? Will he break his own code uh, to to you know, be out of you know out of a necessity to rescue this this kid that he was right. just last season willing to turn in as a bounty and now has just grown so attached to it and has kind of become a a father uh, of and I thought it was a, a fascinating fascinating dynamic. Well, I, I thought what also made this episode great, we got to see, you know, the, the Mandalorian grow a bit, but we also got to see Mayfield grow a bit and see how he ticks, how he thinks of now the going forward old empire mm-hmm. going into the new empire. We got to see that he is a little bit of a broken character. Yeah. Yeah. So there's great development on him as well in this episode. Definitely. Definitely. I, I think let, let's, let's start with, let's start with the Mandalorian himself, Din Djarin, just given how big this was, you know, the the whole plot kind of centers around. Okay, you got to go in. <clears throat> they have there's a there's an imperial terminal that has Grogu's location on it, mm-hmm. and so they need to get, they need to get to this imperial terminal. Any really any imperial term, terminal will do, uh, and 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 hack in, 
And to do that, they needed to recruit Migs Mayfeld. But basically, it's recruit Mayfeld, find Grogu's location, get out. That's basically yeah. the the plot. And they 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 find this um uh, this base, and we'll 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 discuss the details of the episode in just a minute. But I think it's probably worth talking about the Mandalorian himself at the at, right now. Um, and early on, they 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 he's forced to steal a juggernaut. Uh, and they kind of impersonate these these uh, stormtroopers, and through because you know uh, the way that the the you know, the ISB tracks uh, genetic signatures, they basically realize that unless um, uh, the the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, and Mayfeld are the only two who, who can pose as the as these stormtroopers, anyone else, Boba Fett, Cara Dune. Um, uh, Fennec Shand, they will they will immediately be identified by the Empire, and so the Mandalorian has to go, or or Mayfeld goes on his own, but none of them trust Mayfeld. Yeah, nobody's going to trust him, and so he basically has to take off his Beskar and wear don the stormtrooper armor, and you can see how big of a struggle it is. And I thought that Pedro Pascal just played it so perfectly, you know, just. The fact that he had to take off his 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 Beskar, trust you know, give it to Cara Dune to take care of, which is just a huge leap of faith for him, shows how much you know he's 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 grown in trusting others, and then it just gets worse from there for him, you know, and eventually he's forced to actually like take off his helmet so he can get the information from the terminal, uh, and then like he has to have a whole conversation with his like helmet off, and you can see how uncomfortable he was the entire time but it's a big moment because see last season he wouldn't have done it even earlier this season he wouldn't have done it there were so many moments Mm -hmm. they're constantly making fun of him and teasing him like oh you should take off your helmet and he refused it was a recurring theme last season and this season and now he takes off his helmet to rescue grogu it just shows how much he's grown sean well even yeah sean go ahead so yeah when he when he has his helmet off uh pedro pascal is his acting is Incredible. Uh, like, I associate him with uh, Oberon Martell in Game of Thrones. And he, he, the way he is in this is such a contrast to that, because in, in Game of Thrones, he was, had such swagger about him, and he was so confident. And the uncertainty on his face when he had his helmet off, that he was just so clearly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And, and it, as a result, we felt uncomfortable for him. And it was, it was amazing. Um, yeah. It's like it's clear that he kind of considers the helmet his true face. Yeah, yeah, and it was also funny when they were inside the juggernaut and they were driving basically the the explosive cargo they had. Mayfeld the whole time kind of kept making the little jokes about when he took his helmet off. Oh, that felt great. Oh, you know you can take it off. Oh, you know, you know, don't you? And the whole time, just I loved how the Mandalorian. I think barely barely looked at him when he was making those <laughs> yeah. kind of jokes. Yes. I think he only turned his head once. Almost like, could you stop, please? <laughs> it was just so well played by by Pedro Pascal. Yeah. Um and 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 just seeing his uncomfort, not just with having to, to put on some other armor and then later take off his helmet, but even like just the way it was played where and acted where you know he's used to wearing his best guard, and so when he's in fights, he kind of is just not doesn't even really. He kind of just you know um, brushes off attacks, mm-hmm. and 
in, in this episode, he's wearing the Stormtrooper armor, and he gets smacked in the arm, and the arm plate shatters. And yeah. he's like, oh my gosh. And he's like injured afterward. And you really just get to see how he has to change tactics and really uh, adapt and, and how big of a deal it is. And that's the one thing I appreciated when it, you looked at the last episode where you had Boba Fett taking out all those stormtroopers. In this episode, they kept the consistency because when Boba Fett was taking his um, gaffer stick, gaffy stick, yeah, and was basically destroying the armor of the stormtroopers, it stayed consistent here as well. Because when the pirates jumped on the back of the juggernaut and started using their, you know, let's say spear weapons, the same thing happened. Stuff was shattering. So the consistency of story and props was was outstanding. Yeah, you know, and and I, at the end of it, pretty much anyone who's who's seen Din Djarin's face is dead, with the exception of Mayfeld, and he promises to pretend like it never happened. Right. Um. Do you think we'll see more of Din Djarin with his his helmet off? Is this like the beginning of him kind of relaxing a bit more, or is it a? Do you think it's a one time thing? Like I had to do this to save Grogu, and I, I'm I'm not I'm not doing it again. I think we that this is part of his arc, the helmet mm-hmm. removal. Because after he met Bo-Katan and her crew, and uh, they were they were cool with taking off their helmets, and he's hanging around with Boba Fett, who's taking off his helmet left, right, and center. And the discovery that he's basically part of a cult. I think he's questioning a lot of the beliefs he was brought up with. Mm-hmm. And. We'll see how there probably isn't much time for that to develop in the next episode, but I think season three we'll see a lot more of Pedro Pascal's face. Yeah, and I I also think going forward, you're talking about the beliefs. It's the same thing when it came to um, uh, oh God, it came to Mayfield. The same thing when he's sitting down, and when they finally get into the um, the the lunchroom, and he's talking to that other officer, and you could tell that other officer had like this really crazy way of cadence when he was talking about the empire the look on his face all that stuff you could tell that he was getting uncomfortable with all this mm-hmm. and that's why he said you know he brought up um he brought up cinder operation cinder and they started talking about where mayfield was part of this you know operation that happened and the empire not only destroyed civilians but also took out basically his comrades and the empire didn't care and you could just tell the other officer across from him had this look on his face, just like, you know, I hate to say pleasure, but he was starting to look at it just like, you know, are, are you turning on? It was it was one of the most great conversations. And also look at Pedro Pascual's Mandalorian. Look at him like give him that little look like don't go there. Yeah. You know, don't yeah. stay cool. Stick to the plans. Don't. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. The acting around that table, the three of them were were just great. Yeah, so that was uh, Richard Brake, who I uh, associate with Batman Begins. He played mm. Joe Chill, the guy who killed Bruce Wayne's parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was, yeah, he delivered a phenomenal performance yeah. there. Much nuance. And yeah, he was so greasy and horrible. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah, especially when it's just like, let's have a drink. It's almost like you wanted to have him say, let's have a toast to what just happened with Operation Cinder. And it's just like, ah. Oh. But you could you could at that point definitely tell that when, when, oh God, why do I keep blanking on this? And it's just, when Mayfeld actually pulled out his gun and just shot him, you could tell <laughs> that got so much off his chest from what happened before. 
But then you knew at that point, Mayfeld just like, everybody else has to go too, because as, as was just stated earlier, everybody in that room saw the Mandalorian's face. And he even looked at, at the Mandalorian and said, Din, and said, they had to die. They saw your face. Do you think it was because he saw his face or just because like they were all Imperials and they were going to get shot anyway? Like they just shot an Imperial officer. I would think both. Mm. Yeah. I I think it worked out well for the Mandalorian either way because they got rid of anyone who, who knows about him. But man, that whole, that whole sequence just from the time they walk into the officer's mess and like just seeing the Mandalorian struggle, like you can see it in his, on his helmet you know, not even on his face, and the way they, they just, the subtle movements he, he, he does as he's thinking back and forth, okay, do I, Mayfeld is, if Mayfeld goes in, you know, uh, he's going to get recognized by, he may get recognized by Valen Hess, the only option is for me to go in and take off my helmet. And he even tries to go, you know, and, and, and get the computers to scan him without his helmet first, with his helmet on, and when it fails, he takes off his helmet, and he's like, okay, I guess I got to do this, and he sticks in the you know, the, uh, um, the, the, the data stick and, and gets the info. And then I just love the way they build the pressure because all of a sudden he's getting ready to think he's, he's got the information. It's time to go. And Valen has just walks over and starts asking Din questions that he is a terrible liar. (laughs) Let's just say he's a terrible liar. (laughs) And it was great to see Manfield come in and kind of cover for him because it's like, you know, he had a hearing thing because of this happened. So, you know, that's why we got a nickname for him. Brown eyes. Yeah. Which Sean, I believe you had a, you had an interesting note in your review on CNET, uh, with, with the connection to last season and Brown eyes. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, when in, in the prisoner episode, the previous one Mayfeld appeared in, uh, he suggested that Mando take off his helmet, uh, so we can see your eyes. And yeah, it's interesting that the, the focus on his eyes continues. Mm-hmm. I totally forgot about that until until you mentioned that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. He did call him Brown. He did say, let me see your eyes. And it's a nice, it's a nice uh, callback there. It was, a, yeah, because it was an unusually specific line. Right. Uh, for him to say. Yeah. Right. But thankfully, like Mayfeld, while he was worried about being recognized by Valen, he walks in anyway to save Mandalorian and Din Djarin. And I think it sh- speaks to his character. We thought he was just a, a kind of a bad guy at first. And he kind of, yes, he's done some bad things, but he also, you can see is, um, he does try to save Din. He doesn't just run off and say, forget it. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, he goes in at the risk of getting identified by his former officer and, and tries to make up a story to save Din Djarin. And, you know, yeah, uh, there's uh, pardon, uh, this sort of gray morality with it, like uh, Mayfeld. Yeah, he's done some pretty questionable things. But in, in this instance, he jumped in to save the day. Right. Yeah. Right. You know, with his uh, TPS reports excuse. <laughs> um, but no, like, and, and I think that's where we get a lot of character growth, because we knew he was an informer Imperial sharpshooter. But we find out that. He actually has this this really sad backstory in in many ways, where he was a he was an imperial sharpshooter, and when Operation Cinder began, which fantastic to see Operation Cinder reference, like it was first introduced in Battlefront Two in the Shattered Empire comics. But when Operation Cinder began, uh, Valen Hess, his his uh, uh, officer, 
ordered the entire city, the entire planet, or at least the, the city he was he was in and his whole uh, division were in, destroyed, and it killed everyone in the city. You know, thousands of people were sacrificed, and you know, and Mayfeld says, "Well, you can start to see he's already at." mad at, 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 at Valen for, for this. And somehow he survived, right? Somehow Mayfeld survived. But um, you can see he's he's so, so upset that he, he offers to toast to it. And he keeps like prodding and, and, and asking, kind of poking Valen Hess, trying to get him to, to show some remorse, and he doesn't. And just... That results in, in, of course, that that eventually leads to Valen's death. But it also provides a lot of, a lot of growth. I thought for Mayfeld, mm-hmm. you know, and we find that he's very bitter because the Empire like sacrificed him, you know, in yeah. the, in, in the whole city of Burn and Con, uh, on the on the planet of Burn and Con, which by the way I thought was pretty funny, um, a little on the nose for to call the the city that was, you know, basically burned with Operation Cinder Burn and Con, um, <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> would have been funnier if it was burning gone exactly exactly but anyway. um but then but that's what makes that whole like sequence where they're they're having a drink so interesting and, and valen just continues to gloat and, and talk about how you know everyone wants freedom but what they really want is order and you know he's just so so evil um yeah. and it just makes it really easy for mayfeld just to to shoot him and you could you could see at that point kind of like the the twisting into the first order yeah you know how that is now starting to because the base that they actually wasn't that whole base being run by the old isb yeah yeah i think that was brought up so now you've got this thing to where yeah you know the the empire is gone but the remnant now is being taken over by the isb and if the isb is the one that's sitting here really getting its tendrils into things that's giving them the ability to turn everything into the first order yeah and so I just thought it was just so much character growth for for Mayfeld. And I I liked him last season in The Prisoner. He was the only one of the characters I, I liked uh, in in The Prisoner. I guess I liked Zero. Okay. Um, but I did not like uh, um, uh, Quinn or um, Xi'an or, or, or Berg. Uh, they weren't my favorites. Um, and... I thought Mayfeld was fine, you know, um, but in this one, I actually really liked him a lot more, and I, I hope we we see him again. But you know, kind of, I guess going back to because we looking at now the plot, we we find Mayfeld uh, serving a fifty year <clears throat> sentence at the Carthon Chop Fields for his crimes from the prisoner, and. I just loved how this parallels Bracca and, and Cal Kestis in Jedi Fallen Order, where he's like breaking apart uh, Republic ships and, and vehicles, and now uh, and now Mayfeld is responsible for breaking apart Tie Fighters and uh, and whatnot in this in this prison field. Yeah, and then you have Cara Dune coming in as a marshal now that springs him to help them on the mission to go get the information that will help spring Grogu from um, Moff Gideon. Yeah. Yeah. Sp- speaking of which, by the way, quick side tangent, this is the first episode without Grogu at all. No no, no child, no baby Yoda. And uh, how, how did you guys feel about that? I, Sean, go ahead. 
he was still present in a way. I, I suspected that this would happen eventually. And I w wondered, would it work? Would the show work without its star? Um, and it did. You know, it was, it, it, he was still the objective, but he didn't mm -hmm. appear on screen. And it was fine. Mm -hmm. He was still very well, much would, present throughout. Yeah. And I, I would think for me, what makes the show work, yes, he is the, I, I agree with you, Sean, he is the star, but, but it, it's the Mandalorian. Yeah. And I think what, what helped with this was this was a really strong story. Mm -hmm. And I think with, um, oh God, why am I always blanking on the name of the character? Mayfeld, which is very funny because Mayfeld is a name that refers to something else within the, the, the movie universe. But it was a very strong story. And I think the reason why you could make it work with the lack of Grogu is the story and all the character was so strong. Even when you look at Boba Fett and you look at Phoenix Sean and, and you look at Cara Dune being in there, they were all very strong characters and the story made it all work and you could get away with it. Yeah. I, I just love how they brought all these characters together. Um, and like the, the introduction when, when Mayfeld walks up to, to, to slave one and sees Boba Fett, he instantly has this like, Oh my gosh, it's the Mandalorian. And then he, he realizes, Oh no, it's it's some other dude. Well, odd he didn't recognize Boba Fett, but that's fine. Nobody seems to recognize Boba Fett this anymore. Um, and then Din Djarin walks down the ramp, and he just like about you know wets his pants. It's great. Uh, it's just a, a nice little a nice little moment there. What did you think of Boba's freshly painted armor? I loved it. Uh, yeah, it Thank looks. You. It kind of like, uh, you know, the stylized vintage act action figures. Um, okay. He just has a more solid paintwork. Uh, he looks really, really great in it. It's funny how you bring that up because I think my son brought that up as well. He looks more like a toy now. Mm. And and for me, I have no problem with him having painted armor. You would kind of expect that. But I loved the armor in the last episode where it was all beaten up and it, to me, it, it worked either way. It could have stayed the way it was in the last episode, or it could have been completely painted the way it was right now. I had no problem with it. You know why? Because it's Boba Fett, and he's getting his due. <laughs> Honestly, I think he looked better. His armor looks better than probably it ever has. Yeah. yeah. At least since Jingo owned it. You know, it's it, it's just freshly painted. Everything's perfect. And it's too bad Steven isn't here. We'll hear from him later um, in the, as we're going through our, our reviews. But I just love that we got to see more of Slave 1 for the first time, like in, inside. Like we saw it in Attack of the mm -hmm. Clones. But this is the first time we've seen like downstairs in Slave 1 or how it transitions from, you know, landing to flying mode and like the whole ship rotates around itself. Yeah, that was cool. I mean, I miss... I do miss the uh, Razor Crest, but the Slave One is just phenomenal to see. Slave One to me is the classic ship. I, I love the Razor Crest. I thought outstanding ship. Slave One takes the cake for me. Yeah. Absolutely, uh, I agree. Slave One for the win. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and we got to see him. Uh, drop one of the seismic charges just like Django oh. did is for the clones. So cool. Wasn't that the most coolest thing you've ever seen? I'm yeah. like, as soon as that thing popped open and you saw the seismic charge come out, I'm like, 
oh my god <laughs> so, it's, i i kind of suspected he was going to do that when he was flying vertically uh-huh. and the tribes were chasing him and uh-huh. i was like I know exactly what he needs to do now. I would make a great Boba Fett. They should yes. let me. <laughs> yeah. That was the same reaction I had, Sean, where, you know, as soon as the slave one, cause like he picks him up off the rooftop and starts to fly off. And as soon as the, as soon as the two ties come out and behind him and I'm like, okay, what is he going to do? He can either try to swoop around, like flip around and shoot them or no wait, seismic charges. Yeah. And, uh. and then all of a sudden, you know, it just opens. I, I love the sound effect of seismic charges. I love it. And that, that to me is what made it work the best. It was exactly how it was in Attack of the Clones to where it was like the silence and then then the noise. Mm -hmm. I was like, so do we know for sure that that was a Ben Burt sound effect? I've always assumed that it was. I thought so, but I I, I wouldn't, I I wouldn't bet my life on it. Um, Yeah. yeah, Good, good question. It's such a good sound effect though. And, you know, it's a small detail, but I just love how it ties the prequels in with the yep. the you know OT or post OT era, um, and like we know it's the same ship, right? It's his father's ship, but it's just it's a nice connective tissue between them. Not to mention just a cool cool moment. And I just thought Boba was, you know, he didn't he kind of played a supporting role in this episode, but it was. Very well done. Uh, mm-hmm. I just, I, it's so cool we're going to see Boba Fett. And if we have to lose the Razor Crest, replacing it with Slave One is is the way to do it. <laughs> Absolutely, I I totally get it. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, also, also one thing I really enjoyed was just the the world design in this episode. I thought was phenomenal from start to finish. We had the the Carthon Chop Fields. With the, the the really cool looking scrap walkers and the the security droid for a second I thought it might be IG eleven as we just saw mm. the legs, um, really cool visual design. And then we go to to, to Morak with the refinery and it, that almost looked like it was straight out of like Indiana Jones or it was like a Mayan yep. ruins or something. Really cool stuff. There's there's one thing when you when you brought up the Morak thing that I want to touch on that I thought was very interesting and a little very very subtle touch when Mayfield and the Mandalorian were inside the transport uh-huh. and they're going through that village and Mayfield had to sit there and hit the horn to you know get people out of the way as they're going through there was that kid sitting on the side of the road and you kind of had the feeling when the Mandalorian looked at that kid it was a flashback to him as a kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, that that like it was those people were quite quite vulnerable to these powers fighting and yep. all of that, you know, they're what looked like a pretty idyllic existence could be snatched away in an instant. Yep. Yeah, it, it, there was there was just that little look as he goes by and the head turns and that kid just gives him that look. It's almost like, yeah, I, I just I thought that was a great touch. Yeah, yeah, and honestly, this whole sequence was, was really cool. Uh, you know, they, they steal the Juggernaut, and in order to sneak into the refinery, it's their their Trojan horse, and um, the the we got to see right. So the, 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 we find out the Juggernaut is carrying Rhydonium, which we've seen in uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels previously. So that's a nice connection from Dave, and similar to. Coaxium in Solo, a Star Wars story, they can't drive too fast. 
or I guess in that case, they had to go fast in, in, with coaxium, right? They, they, they had, that was more of a time-based. And this one is, is like a, a, a speed or, 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 or based on how much it gets jostled, right? So they can't go too fast. Otherwise, the, the Rhydonium explodes. And the Empire's plan for Rhydonium, I'm not sure, like maybe they were taking it from a mine or something and then taking it through a refinery. But the plan for Rhydonium was to, to use it to, to blow up uh, um, or subjugate planets so that eventually they'll just beg for the empire to come back. Um, it's kind of their, their, their high level plan, but some pirates decide they want the Rhydonium instead. And that leads us to a, a pretty cool chase sequence where we've got these, these pirates flying on speeders, trying to jump on top of the juggernaut and then plant thermal detonators on the Rhydonium in order to, to blow it up so that the empire cannot have it um and it's just a great action sequence yeah <clears throat> good good intent you know the dinjarin is is he's, he's stuck on he basically climbs up to the top of the of the juggernaut and starts fighting off all of the pirates and i just love that you know, he tries to fire the blaster and it, and it instantly empties and so he has to go uh fight them them hand to hand and try to use the spear and just so many little great moments you know like when he throws the spear into the pirate the guy flies off the side or he ducks and like one pirate knocks the other one off it's just i thought it was a a a well-done action sequence not one of the best in the series but you know i really enjoyed it uh and there was a lot of tension because you knew any second the um the the rhydonium could blow up if they went too fast but if they go too slow they'll get overrun by the pirates lucky for them when they got next when they got closer to the refinery, they had a bunch of stormtroopers in. Did, didn't we see some shore troopers come out of that yeah. building as well? Mm-hmm. I yeah. mean, there was a there was a mix of troopers that came out of that building. I have never been more, and, and it's funny because I thought this, and then Mayfeld says it as well. But I've right. never been happier to see stormtroopers. Yeah, it, it was funny because uh, my son Eric and I were talking about that, and and we're talking. You've got all these stormtroopers and shore troopers. It's like, yeah, I have a feeling the 501st has been busy, but they're not saying anything because there is no way they've got that amount of armor being made for this series in a short amount of time for that amount of people. That's a good point. I, I, I wonder if they brought back the 501st like they did in season one. I, I would think so because when they, when the transport got inside that bay, there was a lot of people. Sure, CG could have helped a little yeah. bit, but you know, coming out on under that, coming out in front of the the base with all those shore troopers and stormtroopers, they must have called the five zero first. Yeah, I imagine the Disney Gallery for this season will clear that up. I would imagine so. I agree. Rumored to start in two weeks. They still haven't officially announced it. But it'll drop. I mean, it's yeah. just like every Friday night when I sit here at midnight trying to stay awake, it just <laughs> drops at midnight. Yeah. Well, it's 8 a.m. here, which is pretty great. Perfect timing for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, so it's, it's kind of cool. Like they get like a hero's welcome. And it, it's the whole sequence reminded me just aesthetically a lot, like a lot of Rogue One, just in yeah. terms of the environments and, and whatnot. I just love the design of these, well, the planets even, and the, the, the refinery. New Hope too. Yeah, when you had Luke blow up the Death Star and everybody's around going, "Yay!" and to be the only transport to make it there, 
because the other transports were destroyed by these pirates. Or let's say they could have driven a little bit too fast. Um, they were the only ones that made it through. So they kind of did deserve to have a little party when they came into the uh, base. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so we, we talked about the, the sequence of the officer's mess where Valen Hess gets uh, eventually shot and they escape through the window. Uh, Fennec Shan and Cara Dune basically spend most of the episode, like Cara gets some good action early on as she helps take over the juggernaut, but then she and Fennec Shan basically hang back and um, cover them uh, with their sniper rifles. And, you know, we both, we know they're both good shots. That That's kind of cool to see. Actually, they're very heavy on the snipers in this, in this group. Mayfeld, sharpshooter, Fennec, sharpshooter, Cara Dune, sharpshooter, uh, or more of a commando, but still, and then you know, two two um, two Mandalorians, uh, mm-hmm. you know, pretty pretty heavy on the sharpshooters. But they they needed precision uh, shots because they had to take out the guns that were on top of the base. Yeah, and then you know, for a couple of the troopers that were coming over the edge to prevent Slave One from actually landing, they needed to be good shots. Yeah, it was it was all a very very well done sequence, you know, and they they yeah. eventually escape. I think as we talked about earlier, Cara Dune lets Mayfeld go uh, when they realize that he, you know, he he blew up the the whole base. He killed Valen Hess. He's he's kind of more of a rebel in in some ways, uh, even though he's done a lot of bad stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And many of the rebels did too. Uh, we know before they joined the Rebel Alliance. Um, so he ends up getting let go, and they kind of just Cara is still trying to follow the, you know be uh, 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 follow the le- legitimate path and you know, follow the rules and, and stuff. So she pretends like he died in the explosion. But uh, I don't know. Do you, do you think we'll see Mayfeld again? Go ahead, Sean. It's only a matter of time before Mayfeld, the miniseries was announced. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, look, I, I, I obviously I'm joking. I watch yeah. it. <laughs> I, I'd agree with you. I mean, I think when it came to this episode, Mayfeld, they really developed him as a character. And I just loved how when he took that shot to destroy the base and hit hit the Ryodium, or but sorry, but yeah, I think I got it right, Ryodium. Um you could tell there was a relief to him, especially when he turned and he handed the gun back to Mandalorian. I can't remember what he said, but you just felt there was a relief, just like, you know what? I had to get that off my chest. That's over. Yeah, the idea that it's the only way he could sleep at night. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. Yeah. And then I just loved how when, you know, Cara Dune is just like sitting there pretending that, yeah, you know, prisoner 64667 uh, kind of died in that explosion, did he not? And the man was like, yeah, I think so. And Mayfeld had that look on his face like, what are you talking about? And I just love how he's sitting there like slowly walking away and Mando just kind of tilts the head like, like, go, you know, just go. <laughs> Yep, yep. And then, so the episode ends with a brief glimpse of Moff Gideon, kind of setting up the, the season finale. Because it doesn't really end on a cliffhanger, um, unlike last season with, you know, the death of, oh, the death of Quill and the capture of, of the, yeah. the child. Oh, I still, I still mourn Quill's death. Um, but, uh, you know, this, this time, the Mandalorian sends Moff Gideon a holographic message telling him he's coming and that Grogu means more to him than Moff Gideon will ever know. It's a great sequence, but why do you think yeah. the Mandalorian would tip his hand like that? There's an old Kurt Russell quote, and I cannot remember the movie, that he says, 
I am coming for you. I, I think I may have this wrong, but I think this is close enough. I'm coming for you, and I'm bringing hell with me. I get a Liam Neeson and Taken kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think he's basically telling Moff Gideon, "I'm coming for you, and um, it's going to be messy." Yeah, yeah it, it's more. It's it's one of those situations where it's more of a, a dramatic setup than a logical one. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I just love that whole holographic thing of the Mandalorian with no expression, but as a hologram, just sitting there. Mm-hmm. Just, I just love that whole shot. And then, you know, Gideon's just like, you know, when he first gets it, the smile on his face. And then it's almost like, did that was a thing of worry that crossed his face at the end of the, the threat? It, it sure looked like it. And there was the fact he's probably was like, oh, he's mirroring my little monologue from when, I first, yes. I first encountered them. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was a great sequence. It almost honestly reminded me a lot of the Emperor when he would, you know, call Darth Vader or, or in 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 the original trilogy. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's cool, cool stuff, cool yeah. stuff. Uh, and that's it. Like that's that's the end of our of our of the episode. You know. At the end of the day, not a lot of world-shaking, galaxy-shaking stuff going on, but it's great character development for Mandalorian and, and Mayfeld, uh, and some awesome sequences as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, without further ado, shall we get into our ratings? Tom? Yes. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm going to let Sean go first. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. Uh, well, I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but I, I figure, you know what? We'll let the guests go first this time. And you're the guest. So I thought that was an incredibly solid episode. As as William said, it like it wasn't earth shaking, and it didn't have like major lore drops, like a a, a beloved character returning, which we've mm-hmm. got a lot of this season. Uh, but it the, the, there was a lot of substance there with like the mention of Operation Cinder and all the character development. Uh, so. I am going to give this one nine out of ten Womp Rats. And my Womp Rats, uh oh, I haven't thought this through. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not really like, quite ready for this. You know what? It's uh, okay because we do it on the spot every time. <laughs> well, my Womp Rats were actually uh, in Slave One, and the, the nine of them pushed out the seismic charge. Oh, nice, nice, nice. I was wondering if it, like the inside of Rogue One's like a hamster wheel. That's how they turn the the inside of the ship. Um, but maybe they do double duty. <laughs> wow. Uh, Tom. Well, yeah. Okay, I'll go next. Um, I'm gonna have to agree with you, Sean. I'm giving this episode a nine. I thought this was again this episode for what it was was outstanding. Yes, it wasn't. You know, it was good. It was a great episode. There's not much really more to say about it because it was very entertaining. I just love how Mayfeld ended up getting a lot more backstory and just the acting from everybody in this episode, especially when Pedro Pascual, as we mentioned in the show, when he took the helmet off, basically with no lines, the facial expressions he was able to put on his face during everything that was going on, being uncomfortable, being, you know, don't go there, all that kind of stuff completely worked. And especially when it came to Valen Hess, and that whole speech he gave within the officer's mess, just so, 
so outstanding. And I just, I love this episode. I get a nine. My nine Wombrats. Well, you know, you saw the other juggernauts ended up being blown up before. I think it, they, they were in Juggernaut 5. And I think three of them got blown up before they ended up getting five to the base. Well, you're going to think I'm the guy who was saying that it was those nine Womp Rats who were destroyed in those three transports. Well, no. My nine Womp Rats were responsible for the other three uh, transports not making it to the base. Ah. Pirate so they Womp Rats. they help them get there. Pirate Womp Rats. Yeah, they were pirate womp rats. <laughs> Why they were not involved in the pirate attack on the transport that Mandalorian and Mayfield were in, don't ask me. Maybe they were tired. But um, no, they were the ones responsible for those other transports not making it. So yeah, I think, uh, you know, I, uh, like you guys said, this was just a really fun episode. I, I, I loved the character development we got. And I think this was a turning point for Din Djarin where he had to go against his the number one thing he's never done in the series, unless, you know, it was for IG-11 to save his life and it was a, you know, a droid, not a living thing, and the droid died, you know, a little while later. That's the only time he's taken off his helmet in this entire season, series. And he takes it off today to save the child. And he lets not just, you know, one person see his face, but an entire room of Imperial officers see his face and Mayfeld and lets Mayfeld go. That was a big deal. Um, that's mm-hmm. a big deal for him. And, and, you know, so it's really great to see that character growth. I thought Pedro Pascal just played the role perfectly. Um, it was great also to see the connections to the, the atrocities the empire has, has committed and how, um, how Mayfeld has to deal with that. And, you know, the action and the, the visual design of the planets just really great too. So I'm going to give this eight and a half Womp Rats out of 10. And my eight and a half Womp Rats actually were, um, you know, Mayfeld's Mayfeld's division on Burnin' Con was uh, was just a, 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 a division of Womp Rats. He was the only the only one uh, the only human, uh, but eight and a half of them were his his best friends, and uh, those eight and a half survived with him. The the half well half of it, the Womp Rat didn't make it out of Burnin' Con, but <laughs> Mayfeld and the eight and a half Womp Rats did make it out, thankfully, and uh, and that's why uh, that's why Mayfeld's here today. They helped him. They helped him live. Yep. Um, wait, what's this? Oh, I, I think we're getting a, a, a an incoming message. Is oh, this is this is yeah. We have an incoming hologram from uh, from Stephen. Um, let, let's let's play it. Let's let's hear his thoughts on this episode. Uh, thanks, William, again for patching me back in. Uh, I know you guys just finished reviewing the Believer, and now I get to kind of share my quick thoughts and give you my Womp Rat rating, even though I'm not there. Uh, Believer ended up delivering for me, I think. This is, uh, I've talked about this before, particularly with Rebels and things like that. There are episodes of a television show where I feel like it's just your average episode. And that's not to say that the episode is bad. By On the contrary, I think that's a good hallmark of a good episode is when it just, it's just good. Nothing necessarily stands out to you. Um, it's not a huge hit. Like, you know, seeing Boba Fett last week, that was a huge, awesome moment. This, to me, was the perfect episode of The Mandalorian. We got to move the plot forward, again, much faster. I really expected to spend more time breaking uh, Bill Burr's character out of prison. And it just was uh, an awesome set, of, an awesome episode. It was really enjoyable. I really appreciated the kind of uh, fight sequence on top of the... Uh, I was going to call it a tank, and I'm blanking what it's called. But the uh, showed up in The Old Republic. You know what I'm talking about. The, the hauler. 
Um, and I just, it was a really cool and creative sequence and I enjoyed watching uh, how that happened. Uh, feel a little bit mixed as far as the Mandalorian showing his face again. I expect it's a little bit of, you know, hey, we got his, our obligatory once per season reveal of the Mandalorian's face to remind us of who the actor is. And so he gets uh, some credit to what he's doing. But I thought they integrated it pretty well here. It, I thought it worked very, very nicely. Um, and kind of, I appreciated his uh, interactions with Bill Burr's character and how they kind of played off of each other. It worked pretty well. I thought Bill Burr did an awesome job um, selling the role of this kind of ex-Imperial soldier, uh, particularly the sequence with the Imperial officer. I thought the tension in that was fantastic. So overall, I would give this episode, I think, an 8 out of 10. Um, and I get this will be interesting because I'm doing this blind. I don't know what William and Tom and Sean gave the episode. So hopefully I'm in line with them. And if not, uh, hopefully I gave you a sense of why in the brief time that I have. And uh, with my 8 out of 10 Womp Rats, well, you know, there were multiple haulers and transports that were blown up. Uh, only the Mandalorians was the one that survived. And it turns out that the other transports were actually being driven by Womp Rats, eight of them, four in each one of the two that got blown up. Um, and of course, when they were boarded by the pirates, the, the Womp Rats, you know, they, their combat capabilities are a little bit lacking. So they weren't able to fend off the pirates and their transports were destroyed. Um, so rip Womp Rats. But yeah, thank you all for, and William for giving me the time to insert my review here post haste. Uh, I think the Empire is coming back to me and so I need to make sure I get to a safe location, but I will be back for the finale of The Mandalorian next week. Well, thanks Steven for sharing your thoughts on the episode. Uh, bummed you couldn't join us, but I know it's kind of difficult uh, escaping the uh, Imperial custody. Um, but yeah, this was this was a really fun episode to review. A lot happened. Really exciting. And just all the Star Wars announcements. We are going to be... We're going to have lots of stuff to discuss for a very, very long time, which is super, super exciting. Sean, thanks for joining us. This was... Uh, I'm glad you could, you could uh, take some time out of your busy schedule to to join us on the show and discuss all yeah, this thank you, fantastic stuff. Well, thank you for having me guys. It's always a pleasure. And I'm really glad, uh, Stephen could give us insight. Uh, he's got, certainly got me thinking. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, uh, where can, uh, people find you? Cause you have some fantastic recaps of every episode of, uh, of the Mandalorian. Yeah, so you can read my recaps over on CNET.com and I post them, a few hours after the episode goes live on Disney Plus uh, every Friday. Um, and I write about Star Wars as much as humanly possible over there. It's a good it's a good deal. And you've had some great it's interviews cool. as well. Um, I think we've Thank plugged you. those before. Like your your interview with Anthony Anthony Daniels was was excellent. Um, but yeah, thanks for thanks for joining us. Hopefully we'll we'll get you back on soon. And uh, we, I'm, next week is the season finale. I am excited. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Any, Sean, before we, before we go, any last-minute predictions on what will happen in the season finale? I would just like to see Boba and Mando go back-to-back, blasting pools. I think that would be awesome. Ooh, that sounds amazing. That sounds amazing. Well, with you know that... Be fun? You know uh, what would be fun, just as a speculation of throwing on this one? Wouldn't it be fun to see not only Mando and Boba Fett but somehow Bo-Katan get in on this one, too. Oh, that'll be nice. I uh, hope Bo-Katan we, returns and Grief Karga. Yeah. Yeah, but I, I want to see what happens when Bo-Katan meets up with Boba Fett. 
That's what I want to see. I would hope that happens at some point. Yeah, big time. The bow duo. Yeah. <laughs> I think on that note. <laughs> that note yeah, we will. Uh, thanks, Sean. Thanks again for joining us. Thanks, Sean. And Thank we will much. be back next week with our review of The Mandalorian Chapter 16. Thank you for listening to the Ion Cannon Podcast, your source for entertainment reviews from a galaxy far, far away. For over a decade, Ion Cannon has covered every corner of the saga, from the films and animated series like The Clone Wars and Rebels, to books, comics, games, and more. If you like what you hear, please rate us in your favorite podcast client. Your review will help this show grow within the Star Wars community. We can be found at our website, ioncannoncast.com, and you can follow us through Facebook and Twitter. To email us, you can do so at contact at ioncannoncast.com. The Ion Cannon Podcast is not associated with Lucasfilm, The Walt Disney Company, or any and all of their respective trademarks or copyright holders. Any opinion expressed on the show are that of the hosts. This podcast is a production by fans, for fans, and is copyright 2018.